Episode 25 of Shannon on Batman. Today, we are one year out from Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. It's March 25th, 2015. Um, we've had a lot of crazy stuff come ha happen in the last 12 to 15 hours. And today, we have a uh, great honor. Our favorite guest. Our favorite <laughs> guest. The unofficial fourth member of Shannon on Batman. Uh, Mr. Academy Awards himself, Mark Hughes. Welcome to the show, Mark. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it's, it's it. It's always a pleasure. Whenever, to talk. yeah, whenever you want to come on, talk about stuff, Batman or comic book related or whatever. You want to just come bitch about something that's going on <laughs> within the industry. Yeah, we'd definitely love to have you on. But before we jump into all the craziness of the last twelve to fifteen hours, uh, a lot of stuffs happened for Mark in the last uh, few months. Is the last time you were on. You're at the Academy Awards. You just sat down last week with Jonathan Nolan. You want to talk about your experience at the Academy Awards? Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. Uh, I I I considered that a big win to be able to to attend, and uh, I look forward to hopefully attending the future ceremonies and doing coverage. Um, it was really neat walking down the red carpet. Of course, uh, one of the best moments. Uh, I, there were two particular moments that stood out. One of them was uh, at the end, uh, as, as everyone was leaving, I was standing uh, at the table where the, they were arranging rides and the, the transportation for everyone. And uh, Chris Evans was next to me trying to figure out where his ride was. And I was there trying to figure out where or how to get a taxi or an Uber and there were no taxis or Ubers anywhere nearby. You had to walk like several blocks away. And I don't know what was going on with Chris Evans, but whatever it was, they told me that I had to walk a few blocks in the rain to go like the Ubers are parked over there or whatever. And I looked up and I just kind of sighed and I glanced over at Chris Evans and he had the same kind of like ah, expression on his face. And we both <laughs> just kind of like just a shared quick glance. I'm sure he didn't even know to really notice me, but it was a cool moment to look up and be like, me and Captain America are both standing there trying to get our rides home. And I was like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I didn't, say, I didn't so say anything. I just, I looked at him and we both just kind of gave a little smirk and raised our eyebrows, shook our heads at the rain and he went on. And it was, uh, it was a nice, just a, a brief little moment. And uh, it was kind of cool. I really liked that uh, a lot. Uh, and then you had a, uh... Three Batman were there that night. Clooney was there. Yes. Keaton was yeah. nominated for Best Actor and Ben Affleck presented. What was that like for you? Three great, like, the top Batman guys in the oh, audience. It, was, it was really cool. It was terrific. I saw, uh, uh, at one point, I saw from, I was up on a, a higher level and looked over the balcony, and I saw George Clooney and was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a really neat moment. Uh, I, I I have to mention that John Savage was there, and I saw I'm a big fan of John Savage, and uh, I saw him in the audience, and he was in, of course, uh, Hair was one of the first things that I saw him in uh, when I was younger, and he was in Salvador. He was in The Deer Hunter, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. 
and I got a chance to stand. Uh, I, I went out at one point during a break in the, the ceremony and had a chance to talk to him. And we talked for a nice long time, actually. And he was a really great, friendly guy. And uh, he happily took a photo with me and we talked about uh, uh, films and about what he had going on and about uh, uh, American Sniper and veterans issues and the treatment of veterans. And uh, it was just an, uh, all around a really great experience. And uh, he's he's a terrific guy. And that was that was a big highlight of the ceremony for me. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. The Oscars are uh, I highly recommend it if you get a chance to go. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll pencil that in. Hopefully someday I'll get, a, uh, I'll get nominated as a writer and I'll be showing up there as a nominee. Uh, fingers crossed for that. That'd be, oh, yeah. that'd be pretty legit. Be and awesome. then and then last week he got to sit down with Jonathan Nolan. I'm like, can I just like can I be your assistant, Mark, for like two weeks just so I can be like around the people you're around? He's I see the video of him. He's like, oh, talking to Jonathan. I was like, this is a crazy fucked up world we live in. I'm talking to a guy who talks to like the main brainchild behind the Dark Knight trilogy. It's crazy. Well, you want to talk about that for a few moments if you want to. That was really cool, actually. Jonathan Nolan is one of the uh, I've wanted actually for for several years now. I've I've wanted the opportunity to sit down and talk to him at all, and it was a brief interview. You know, it was uh, a lot of people were there, so uh, it was. Uh, I got my my four minutes with him, and it was really awesome. Uh, he and Kip Thorne both were there, um, and it it wasn't. It was four minutes. But it was a great four minutes because he. I'm just. I'm a really big fan of Chris Nolan's, of course, and of Jonathan Nolan's, of course. And Jonathan Nolan's one of my currently like one of the the my favorite working screenwriters right now. And as a screenwriter, I I've read all of everything he's written, and I read his short story. And uh, so I I would have been waiting for this for a long time, and really looking forward to someday getting to sit down and talk to him a little bit. And uh, it was really cool. It was really nice. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that he went basically went to college <laughs> to study physics in order to write the screenplay. Damn. Uh, uh, when I do writing, I've done, I've done a few projects where I did a whole lot of uh, background research. And um, it's, it always fascinates me, the sort of research that writers do. But I can't even imagine having to take physics classes because I, I'm good if I can figure out how to use a calculator at all. That's not one of the strengths. So uh, Kip Thorne is a really nice guy too. I actually talked to him uh, afterwards. I got a chance to ask a question during the panel discussion. And then I met, uh, ran into Kip in the parking lot afterwards at uh, Jet Propulsion's lab as we were leaving, and he stopped for a moment and, and talked to me and took a photo with me. And he's a really great guy, and you would never guess looking at him. I mean, he's like seems twenty years younger than he really is. So uh, he's a cool guy. He's got a really cool beard. So I like that. Uh, awesome, awesome. So. Things are really, really like going well for Mark. It seems like Academy Awards, and then sitting down with uh, with Mr. Jonathan Nolan himself. But it's it's well deserved. Mark's a really hard worker, and really, he thank you guys toots the horn. Thank you <laughs> toots the horn for like common sense. And when we're when we're coming up, to, uh, I was emailing uh, Mark the other night. I was like, you know, Mark, everyone t- tells me how 
great the last episode was, and I was like, man, I don't know if we can top it because there, there really hasn't been any news or any marketing. But within the last, like, I remember I messaged you last night. I sent you that picture of what Tyrese posted on his Instagram um, about Green Lantern. Can, can yeah. you talk about that? <laughs> uh, obviously, there's been, like, no official, like, casting or whatsoever. But can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts about him posting that photo and then if you would like to see him as John Stewart, AKA Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, Tyrese is one of, you know, I did an article not long ago naming who I thought were the best uh, actors to get a Green Lantern role. And he was on my list. Uh, he's on my short list uh, as the, for the Green Lantern. And I knew that he was kind of one of the names that, that, had been tossed around and that they were probably considering for the role. Uh, I think he was a, a fairly obvious person that if you're going to cast John Stewart, then you're going to look at Tyrese because he's that kind of actor. He's, uh, he has the dramatic range. He's also an action, uh, clearly has the action, uh, action chops for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, if he is indeed cast, I'll be very happy. Um, I know, he had the meeting with Warner Brothers. Uh, from what I heard, it it went well. Uh, and I don't know if it's official yet. Uh, I don't know if his if he's tweeting this because he's kind of he wants the role and he's he's really kind of aggressively pursuing it, or if this is just his way of dropping hints. Uh, but uh, that he actually did get it, uh, uh, I'd be very happy if he got the role. I know that. Uh, a lot of people think that because there are rumors uh, about, like I know Latino Review has pointed to Chris Pine that they had heard he was being looked at. Uh, I would just remind people that there's more than one Green Lantern and John Stewart, Green Lantern being in the DC movies does not exclude the possibility of an appearance by Hal Jordan in the DC movies as well. Uh, Again, pointing back to my article, I mentioned just, just hypothetically that uh, (laughs) they, they could always have Hal Jordan either in flashbacks or just in a brief scene, Hal Jordan might appear and might hand the ring off to Jon Stewart. We might see Hal Jordan. Maybe he's not in it at first, but he comes back later. There's a lot of ways it could play out. So, uh, I don't think anyone should should assume that there's only one possible character to be cast here when it comes to Green Lantern. Right. Back to your article, you, you mentioned you'd like to see Bradley Cooper, and I'd love to see that. I think he's, yeah. after American Sniper, amazing. But another one that we, we talk privately about is Chad Coleman from The Walking Dead. He looks like if, he, if I were to pull up like a Neil Adams or, you know, the recent uh, interpretation of uh, John Stewart, if you were to put Chad Coleman right next to those, it's, like, right there. And he has the acting chops from The Walking Dead. <coughs> um, I'd like to yeah. see that as well. <laughs> Is there anyone you don't want to see as Green Lantern, I guess, you, I could, I should ask? Uh, that's always a hard question for somebody like me to answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to... Uh... Jack Black. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> He'd make a great Kilowog, though. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, if I had to, you know, that he had his, his go at it uh, at a Green Lantern project. It didn't work out. I have to admit, I'm 
very glad it didn't work out. Wait, uh, Jack Black did? Yeah, yeah. There was uh, at one point they were going to do a kind of a. It was going to be a comedy, like a campy comedy version of Green Lantern. You're fired. And, uh, we can't Jack talk Black. to you anymore. <laughs> when when this what happened? Wow. When was this? Oh, it was a while back. Uh, hold on, I can tell you the exact year. Oh, uh, when Jack Black was relevant. <laughs> Oh damn! Damn it! No, I'm not trying to bust on Jack Black. I just want to. I just want oh, for the record. I'm actually. I'm a fan of Jack Black. So I'm one of the people that thought he was awesome in King Kong, which yes. I know everybody hates. He King was Kong. good in King Kong. One of the best yeah. movies of the 2000s. Uh, I love. I think Jack Black's awesome. I don't even hold the thing at the Oscars against him because. He was cast to do that skit. It wasn't like he was like, hey, I want to sing a song that talks trash about superhero movies. You know, it was just a funny, it was meant as a funny moment. They even kind of like shooting down when he sang it and tell him to shut up. So uh, I don't hold that against him. Um, apparently, I guess it was in uh, the mid 2000s or so, really? sometime around there, 2000 four to 2006 and yeah jack black was like he was really wanted to do it he was pushing it it was going to be a, a com a, a dark comedy or not a dark comedy uh, yeah. uh it was going to be a comedy and in the typical you know uh and i'm glad it didn't work i'm glad that that <laughs> didn't come to fruition uh that's really interesting with all all respect to jack black uh i did that that would have been terrible <laughs> so pick up my I'm brain glad it didn't wow. happen that's crazy. So, as of three and a half, four hours ago, Warner Brothers uh, released via Entertainment Weekly the first photo of uh, Lex Luthor in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Um, and so, what do you think about that? Since this would probably be the first place that you actually get to talk about Lex Luthor. Can you talk about that? What were your first impressions yeah, yeah. of Luthor and Eisenberg? Because I'd say uh, almost everyone, except for Kyle, is uh, excited to s excited about Jesse Eisenberg. So what do you think? Oh, I loved it. Uh, it reminded me very much of, uh, I think that there are probably intentionally some hints, uh, some, some subtle similarities to do the cover, the black and white cover of Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. Uh, I think he looks first purely aesthetically. He looks great. He has the right look. I think he has the right intensity. Uh, so, I, and I was very happy with the casting of Eisenberg personally. Uh, he's a great actor, and I say, if you look at his performance in The Social Network, his performance in Now You See Me, and his performance in Double then you'll see all of the components necessary to make an absolutely great Lex Luthor, particularly the kind that they're going for in this movie, which is essentially, it's not like any of the previous live-action Lex Luthers. This is very much a Lex Luthor rooted in sort of a, a Superman birthright and Lex Luthor Man of Steel. If you take those two and put them together, that's essentially what you're going to get. Uh, and I think Eisenberg has that. And I'll just remind people, a lot of people say, well, he looks so young to be Lex Luthor. He's as old as Henry Cable. Really? They're the exact, they're the, yeah, they're the same age. They're both uh, the same age. They're 31. Uh, he's, I think he may be a few months younger than Cable. Cable was born in May, I think, and I think Eisenberg was born in uh, November, sometime, so later in the year, sometime that August to November range. So they're just a few months apart, so... 
they are contemporaries, which is more uh, kind of what, uh, again, to point to birthright, uh, the Lex Luthor, who is an intellectual genius, who is a corporate genius, who's cold calculating, you know, a brilliant mind. Uh, that's the kind of Lex Luthor that we're going to get. And uh, I, I think Eisenberg is a terrific choice for it. I look forward to to seeing uh, to seeing what he does with it. And with this photo, now we've put a, we can finally put to rest the fan concerns that he's going to have hair. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of fear that like they're going to ruin Lex Luthor because he has hair. And, uh, that's all finally going to go by the wayside. So yeah, I'm glad that we can move on. He's bald, so we can move on to discussing like other important aspects of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyle, our we were talking to Kyle this morning, and Kyle has, you know, what do you want to say in regards well, to... This is what I'll say about um, Jesse Eisenberg and the casting of him being Lex Luthor. I don't have anything against him. He is a fine actor. I've just never, on a personal level, been a big fan of him. I don't... It's nothing that he's actually done... It's just the way I interpret everything he does. It's if he's never really struck me as someone that I can really get behind, and I always enjoy him. He's just always there, and he does he does his job fine. So going into his performance like Luthor, kind of just expecting him to be there, get the job done. But I'm not really gonna be super excited. For him. But if he's if he goes above and beyond, and really impresses me, then mad props to him for that. Right, definitely. Because I think everyone wanted for the role of Lex Luthor, uh, Brian Cranston. Uh, so I think everyone has that like mental picture of like the Heisenberg and Brian Cranston f from everything he does. Like he was even good on Seinfeld. And a lot of people don't remember that he was on Seinfeld for many years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, I'm excited for it. They could. Uh, who else were they going to cast? Really, like I, like it was surprising. But it wasn't like, oh my god, like the fanboy fanatics that go crazy. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, let's let's talk about that for a second because since... But just to mention real quick that I, I would just like to point out that, I, that while I'm very excited for Eisenberg, I do understand that just on a on a very realistic level, if you don't like a performer or you don't even have to dislike them, but if you're just not particularly excited by a performer or you've never been a fan of them, I totally get why, like if you don't like somebody or you're not a fan and not imp necessarily impressed by them, then they're casting in a, in a major role in a film, excuse me, in a film that you care about. I think that I understand why there were, there are people who are like, well, you know, it doesn't, it didn't light it on fire for me or that, aren't particularly excited about the casting that's i think that's a valid reaction there's plenty of you know all of us have performers we we like and performers we don't like and if somebody that you're that's not high on your list ends up cast in a big role that you care a lot about then you know i think that's i understand that's a valid reaction it's not like a lot of people you know kyle's reaction isn't the same as a lot of the guys online on message boards who are like he has curly hair and he, you know, <laughs> that's their whole thing is like he has curly hair and a curly haired guy can't be Lex Luthor and I'm like oh my god they have razors <laughs> so. well, at least they're not at least Michael Sarah finally is deciding not to lend him his hair so yeah Michael Sarah <laughs> dropped off the cast list <laughs> poor guy <laughs> um, I never you know I would have been fine if they'd cast Brian Cranston as Lex yeah. Luthor he would have been awesome totally and I would have been behind that but that said I was very glad he was not cast as Lex Luthor because uh, I hold out hope that Jim he Gordon. would play Jim Gordon yeah, or yeah. 
actually the he was highest on my list to play Hugo Strange. Oh, I want him oh, as Hugo oh, Strange, nice, yeah. and oh. uh, I want Mandy Patinkin to play Gordon. He would he would either of them as Gordon, and the other one as as Hugo Strange would be great. As it turns out, I don't think we're gonna have get to see Gordon except in flashback, but. Uh, uh, or maybe he's just retired and he's not around, possibly. But uh, regardless, yeah, I, I, I was. There's other roles that I would rather see Cranston play. So with those two still out there as potential, you know, things that he could do, uh, I'm fine, I, and I'm extremely happy with that. I, I think Zimberg is going to give us a kind of Luther that the closest we've gotten to seeing it in live action was uh, the TV show Smallville, you know, and, but in, on the big screen on film, most people in the world have never seen this kind of Luther before. Mm-hmm. And I like that he's a contemporary of Superman. I like that he's younger, that he's going to be this younger, hungry guy that's, uh, uh, and I, and I am glad that he's not a big physically intimidating guy. I think it's it's important that there is that distinction between him and Superman and that he's, you know, I never was personally a fan of the Lex Luthor who pumps iron and is big and fights Superman in a, in a metal suit or anything. That, that never really, I mean, if he's in a mech suit, that's, you know, different. But I just, I've never really been a big fan of that kind of Lex Luthor. Right. Um, so now that we're, it seems like they're finally getting the, the ball rolling on, I guess you could say that on the marketing for Batman v Superman. Can you talk about that? Because it seems like Suicide Squad is more has been more in your face, and people are getting Definitely. a little bit more excited for Suicide Squad because we're getting to see a little bit more. Like it yeah, might. Hell, not... I'm there right now. Like I've seen more Suicide Squad. I'm all on board for it. Right. Like, it so... seems like we've been seeing like yeah. David Ayer has been doing a good job of like some. I wouldn't say it's viral marketing, but he's been tweeting some photos from the sets. Um, that oh, <laughs> uh, the Leto hair stuff. That was. <laughs> that was some that was some big stuff on uh on Twitter, on Facebook and everywhere else on social media. Can you talk about the marketing plan for Batman v Superman why it's you think it's been kind of like lackluster and then, you know, coincide that with the Suicide Squad if you could. Yeah, I think it's uh Warner Brothers tends to be a little more reserved and conservative in their marketing. And uh, I know, I mean, just realistically, people should keep in mind that marketing costs have skyrocketed in the last several years. And it costs uh, upwards of $150 million or more to globally market a summer blockbuster movie. So you're talking about outrageous expenses. So when when fans want the marketing to start a year to a year and a half early, they really need to remember that studios are trying to get these costs under control. And when you have a movie like Batman vs. Superman that's already costing $200 million plus to, to make, and then you add on top of that $400 million, uh, $200 million, $150 to $200 million marketing, which is realistically what they're going to spend on this movie, it's going to be $150 to $200 million in marketing. So the film would have to make $800 million just to break even for them to make their money back. And that's a really tough situation to be in for a business that you're going to invest this money and then you're going to have to wait two years to break even and then start turning profit. You know, uh, it's not a realistic model necessarily for uh, it's not a great model anyway. I mean, it is the reality of what they're having to do, but so I think Warner is more conscious uh, of keeping 
trying to keep a lid on those costs. Because, and, you know, let's face it, we all complain when a movie does, like, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. We all said, well, of course, they just the, they spent too much on it. The marketing cost too much. They just really should have kind of reined it in a little bit. So when it goes wrong, we recognize it, and we all criticize studios for this mm-hmm. kind of excessive spending on the stuff. So we should, in a way, I think it's uh, we need to keep that in mind and just say, look, Warner Brothers is uh, it's today, it's now a year until the movie. You know, (laughs) this is anything prior to now that we got was just kind of like bonus material we should consider because uh, it was way too early to be spending a lot of money on marketing in the first place. Um, And the reality is that we're going to start seeing things now coming up. So uh, but I'm not going to be disingenuous. I have been I've also, as you know, I've said things and written things saying that, you know, well, you know, I understand what Warner is doing. I understand that so far they've mostly had free marketing by just dropping pictures and using social media and they've avoided expense. So I get what they're doing, but I also feel like they're not uh, they're missing some opportunities to kind of energize the base in a few ways in terms of like, just for example, they have, uh, they, they released the slate of films at a stockholder meeting and the information just slowly trickled out. And whereas Marvel has a big fan event for it and they put it up on a board and I'm not trying to promote the Marvel versus DC thing, but I'm saying realistically there is a model out there, an alternative model that's like feed the fans, drive the frenzy, really get a lot of earned market, uh, earned media and free media stuff. Uh, so I think, but I, I don't think Warner should be doing that. They don't have to do that. Look how much attention they got by a stockholder meeting revelation of those titles in the first place. So they still get the attention. They're still getting the press and the media, uh, and at the end of the day, fans are going to, their fan butts are going to be in the seats. Let's right. say <laughs> yeah. so. Uh, I don't think that they have to mimic the, the Marvel method, uh, for marketing. Um, I do think that it creates that there's a, a branding attitude involved that nobody should underestimate how much that the issue yeah. of branding is affecting Marvel's popularity. People get excited about Marvel films, not just because of the films themselves, but because Marvel hypes it. Marvel is out there with cheerleading and going, yeah, get excited. you know. Right. And when that's happening, it's easy to get let yourself get more excited. And they create this idea that the Marvel brand is fun. The Marvel brand lets you participate. The Marvel brand is like, hey, fans, come look at what we got now. And Marvel can do that because they're a studio that does nothing but make superhero movies. Warner makes a lot of other stuff. But at the end of the day, I hope Going forward, you know, if if six months from now we were still getting everything released by Twitter, then I would say, okay, Warner, (laughs) (laughs) right, you're you're dropping the ball now. But up to this point, no, it's they haven't had to do anything different. So, but going forward, uh, I'm sure that we're going to see things like today. You know, we didn't get another photo released on Twitter. This was Jesse Eisenberg's photo was revealed in Entertainment Weekly. So that's true. We're going to start seeing things go a little differently now. Uh, the marketing will ramp up around May and in the summer when they start releasing trailers and other things. Uh, I think that uh, uh, we should probably expect the first full trailer. I don't know if the teaser will come earlier, but I think the first trailer is going to be Mad Max Fury Road in May. Uh, and I've been avoiding talking about trailers because everybody flips out if you say, I heard this is happening or they're thinking about this and then it doesn't happen. Everyone's furious, but 
uh, yeah, the, as for now, what I think everyone, I don't think, I think it's a, uh, it's not even a secret that that's what everybody's hearing is that their intention is to try to release it. It's they're planning it for Mad Max. Right. It just seems like there's been a few missteps in the marketing. Well, it's like when I was, I posed the question to you, it seems like a stutter step. They're like with the Hobbit, here we are. We're going to, that rumor was we're going to get it with the Hobbit. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, no, we're not going to give it to the Hobbit. And then we were hearing rumors about Jupiter sending. And now we're hearing rumors that maybe we'll get some, a teaser with WonderCon. I don't know if you, if you've heard that. Yeah, I've heard the rumors. Uh, uh, I would, I'm not, I'll say I'm not anticipating a teaser at WonderCon. Right. Uh, I, I think that we might see some pictures or something. They might drop a little information, but uh, I don't think that it's going to be, uh, anything like I don't think that it's going to be something huge. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible, and I'll be excited. I'm going to be there, and I'm certainly going to be uh, standing at the front of the line to get in that room <laughs> uh, that morning. But uh, I don't think that there's going to be a teaser at WonderCon. I think at this point, uh, uh, it's I'm done trying to trying to read the tea leaves on this because I think what's going on is there's a lot of different. The, remember, the movie was originally going to come out this year. Right. Yep. And then they pushed it back. Uh, I think a lot of assumptions and, and ideas about, well, we can do this at this time and this at that time were built initially around that that assumption of a December release. And I think there are people who are wanting to push a little more aggressively and, and uh, a little sooner. And that's why there were discussions about attaching it to The Hobbit. But uh, I think at the end of the day, Warner is a more conservative studio and from their standpoint today we're finally a year away from release right there was no real need to spend money releasing trailers and teasers and a lot of stuff uh that marketing cost that's going to be already approaching 200 million could easily have been 250 to 300 million if they had started marketing this last year when everybody wanted and when you know so uh, they've got to keep that cost under control, and it's way too soon. You know, if they put stuff out there, and then Avengers is coming out in at the start of May, what's going to happen? You're going to see it get anything that they do now, kind of gets you don't you don't want to lull. You want to build, and you want to consistently build your buzz. So uh, I understand why they've waited until now to start doing it because if they'd done anything at the end of the year or the start of this year, right off the bat. It would have faded by now. Everybody would be like, well, what's next? And then, well, you know, once you shoot your load on that, what are you going to do? You know, you fired, you know, you, 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 you fired the, you're fired your first shot uh, and your first salvo. And it's like, here's our teaser. And then if you let too much time go by, you know, you don't want to let so much time go by that they're, that people kind of forget and that you get overtaken by other things. And then you're like, Hey, remember us over here, you know, yeah. uh, so I, I, I understand as a fan the desire to get more, and I was hoping that we would see some more stuff sooner. But at the same time, I can't – realistically, I understand exactly why they're doing it this way. It makes sense. Uh, it's, it's kind of absurd to expect a lot of stuff to come out more than a year before a film releases. So, yeah. Uh, Tom has a question for you about uh, Suicide Squad. Oh, I have tons of questions about Suicide Squad. Um, let me think here. So, have you you seen Assault on Arkham? I take it. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, with that being seen, do you think maybe and or hope possibly that we see some connections between 
uh, the Suicide Squad movie and that movie. <laughs> oh, you mean like as far as similarities? Yeah, similarities. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah similarities. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be obvious similarities. Um, it's not an adaptation of that story, but yeah. I think there will be similarities to it. Uh, just inherently, obviously, you know, they're they're, they're going to put together the team. The Joker's going to be in it. Uh, there's going to be Batman's going to be in the movie a little bit. Uh, so. Uh, we'll see how much Batman's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends. Uh, I think there will be similarities, but I don't think it's going to be like, it won't be. It's not going to be. Yes. It, it won't be tied in. It won't be an adaptation. It won't be like, oh yeah, but is it, uh, might they lift a couple of scenes here or there that were in that? Sure. It's possible. I mean, Definitely. you know, uh, yeah, it it's, brilliant. I don't think it's an accident that those two are kind of set up so similar. So, Gotcha. We'll see what happens. Kyle has like a follow up question to right. the Suicide Squad. Well, Batman being in Suicide Squad. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you, you think Batman will be in Suicide Squad. Like, do you think he will play a similar role in Suicide Squad that he did in Assault in Arkham? Being like, no, completely different. No, he won't be. Uh, it's 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 not going to be Batman as a as a supporting character or a significant character who's like fighting and is there dirt through the whole thing. What I heard is. Uh, that there is some kind of footage of Batman, uh, probably surveillance footage or either surveillance footage or somebody actually secretly like filming while it's happening or whatever's going on. And that that we'll see that footage. And uh, I'll go ahead and say, I've, I heard rumors that there was an additional scene that might have him on camera. uh, Not just in the surveillance footage and that the footage is separate and then he might actually show up in a, in a scene in the movie at one point, uh, possibly later in the film. Right. Okay. Right. That sounds sweet. I I don't know. I'm, I, I'm about 99% sure about the, uh, that I I know he's in the movie and I'm pretty, I know that we see him in the movie and I'm 99% sure that the surveillance or whatever kind of footage is there or new, it's either surveillance or like news camera or whatever it is. But I think it's some kind of surveillance or him being filmed, not knowing it kind of footage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm 99% sure that's in it. And I'm about, I'm, Maybe 75, to pull a number out of my butt, 75% sure that he, that there's an additional scene with Batman in it. Awesome. Excellent. So, so uh, I, probably if, probably near the end of the film, maybe something with, uh, though I don't want to get, I don't want to talk about spoiler aspects of the story because I know people are going to be, and I just don't want to do that. But yeah, right. there's stuff that happens in it that might necessitate Batman getting pissed off and showing up somewhere to like chew somebody out, possibly. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, that's definitely. Awesome. So this is going to be our first live action appearance of Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, and also, like you said, Joker's definitely going to be in the movie. So do you think that uh, the love connection between the two may play a part in the movie at all? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It'll be well. There'll be some fun dynamics between them, I'm sure. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to see uh, her like live at like actual. It it should be great. And Margot Robbie Mar- is, is really sexy, gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. she's really sexy. Um, Kyle or Tom had a question about David Ayer. I don't remember. It was one of you guys. Oh, I think it was me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got a question. You guys had a question, but um, but uh, David Ayer, he uh. He did sa- he did uh, sabotage, and a watch. Yep, 
Yeah. But uh, end of watch is one of uh, one of the best movies of 2012. So yeah, that, it was a great movie. Uh, he did Fury, which is mm-hmm. a terrific a movie, movie actually. Uh, he did Training Day, which yep. is you know was uh, was a good movie. Um, but that being said, like people kind of didn't uh, didn't dig Sabotage like those other ones, and they also I've heard that people are kind of pulling a lot of like similarities between Sabotage and like Suicide Squad possibly. Do you think like maybe he kind of did Suicide Squad to kind of make up for possibly what he did with Sabotage or? No, I don't think there's any tie between the two. I think uh, Warner went to him because after End of Watch and uh, specifically End of Watch and Fury were just, I think he was clearly a director that Warner is like, we want a relationship with this guy. We want to have an ongoing uh, artistic, creative uh, relationship with him. And I think that was the basis for it, uh, particularly those two films, Fury and, and End of Watch. And uh, I'll be honest, I have not seen uh, Sabotage, uh, but I ha- I've heard, I know people who think it was not a good movie. And I know right. actually people who said that, you know, if it's, it's, a, it's a good, if you just watch it as just a good, straightforward, like pure 80s type shoot 'em up action yeah. movie that it's actually a good movie. It has a nice twist. It's one of Schwarzenegger's better roles in recent years. So I don't know. I haven't seen it. Uh, but I would say, I don't think that that, I don't think that there's any connection between why Ayers uh, did that and, and why he did uh, suicide squad. Yeah. Well, it seems like, I wouldn't say like, I'm, I'm not afraid that he's the right guy. Just, it's just weird that uh, for me anyway, that he was chosen he really doesn't. He has a few good movies, but it's not like a. He doesn't have the pedigree yet, I would say, because here we have Suicide Squad, which is it seems like it's going to jumpstart the villains in the DCCU. I'm just. I, I wouldn't say I'm worried, but I'm more leery of his overall take on it. I guess you could say because he has a. It's like every other movie. It seems like he either hit. It's a hit or a miss. I don't know. Do you feel that way, or do you, is it something that you're like, oh, he's the guy. He's the guy for sure. Oh, I think he's a great director. Uh, he, after I saw End of Watch, I immediately when I saw End of Watch, I went around telling everybody who would listen that like this is they somebody's got to get this guy to make one of these movies. <laughs> uh, and I specifically, I figured, I thought his his uh, style and his approach was perfectly suited to a DC movie. Uh, or alternately, I thought, well, maybe it, you know, um, uh, if Marvel did a Punisher film that was darker than the other movies that they're doing, then he could do something like that. But uh, no, I think. Warner Brothers has a really good eye at, at for identifying directors who, after a few films, have established their you know that where Warner can look at them and say this is somebody who has the right talent and who we can have a good relationship with long term and pairing putting those people with the right projects. You know, look at uh, I mean Chris Nolan did Memento and Insomnia before they handed him Batman. Well, neither of those films was like blockbuster status, and they were both great movies. You know, mm-hmm. Memento was great, mm-hmm. uh, but honestly, I think Insomnia was terrific. But there were a lot of people who were kind of mixed on Insomnia or thought it's good, but it's not like genius. You know, why are they? Is that a movie that if you see it, you think that's the guy that needs to make Batman movies? He's right. the perfect director for Batman. You know, 
but Warner Brothers has has a good, pretty good track record at uh, at identifying. They like to change chances. directors. They, they yeah, really do. They, they 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 take risks on directors, and they're willing to take the risks because I think from their perspective, they don't feel it's a risk. They feel confident in that decision, and they're like, "We're going to do it." And then they ignore, you know, the the complaints or anything else that they hear, and they just go forward with what they think is the right thing. And I respect that style of you know, I respect that style of uh, of doing business. Because right, if it's almost like freeing for the director, because it doesn't seem like like if you look at Marvel, I'm not trying to knock the Marvel movies, but it seems like Feige is down everyone's throats. Like this is what we're gonna do. This is exactly, and it seems like Warner's more reserved. We're gonna get to tell the stories, but I want you as filmmakers to go about your job. You guys are directors. Like we're producers. We're, we're supposed to be, that's another aspect of filmmaking where you guys do your thing. You guys have, you know, all the tools and everything that you need from us. Now go do your thing. It seems like they are more reserved or more conservative with that aspect than say a Marvel is where it seems like Marvel. And I, I, I can't say, cause I don't know, but it seems like that's why you see a lot of Marvel directors like a Kenneth Branagh, um, the guy who directed Thor, uh, Thor two, uh, Joe Johnson who did, directed Captain America. They're not coming back around. It it was only recently with the Russo brothers. They're getting a F- Infinity Wars. I don't know the title of that one. Part one. But yeah. it, you, you see what I'm saying? Like it just seems like the Warner Brothers like let the filmmaker go do their thing. Well, yeah, I think Warner does that. Uh, I would say with Marvel, it's they have two very different approaches. Marvel started creating they were the, they they decided they were going to create a cinematic universe and they decided no one's ever done this so if we're going to do it we have to have a plan and we have to know what the hell we're doing and they started out remember marvel took out a lot of loans in order to do this and to decide we're going to make our own movies and they took out the loans they threw the dice and they knew in order to do this uh feige knew that You've got to have your ducks in a row in order to convince people to invest. You've got to have a plan going forward. And he sat down and said, hey, look, I've got an idea. Here's an outline. We'll do it in phases. We'll use these films to to push these films. We'll use these films as a way to build. And it's been – they've slowly built it. They had to lay a foundation, and then on top of that, they began to build. And when you're the first studio that's going forward and saying, let's put – you know, a few hundred million dollars of money that we've borrowed into creating a whole cinematic comic book world, that's a pretty big risk. You know, right. when Marvel did this, the genre was popular, but there was nothing like what they were doing going on. And it was all kind of just displaced everywhere. And it was different studios, had different characters, and some stuff was popular, some wasn't. And if you're going to take that kind of risk, it makes sense to go into it having a definite plan and saying this. And then when you look at uh, the comics, Marvel and DC have always been very different in that Marvel's books, they had what they called the Marvel way. And Marvel, they all they use real cities and real places in the world. You know, uh, they don't use fictional cities and they all live together in this world and their characters work best the marvel characters are at their best when they're interacting together mm-hmm. whereas i think dc's characters tend to be they have their own unique kind of worlds and they do their own thing and then they sometimes come together mm-hmm. and it's good when they come together but then they go back to their own world yeah. you know batman has the dark world superman has kind of the world of the, the more world of the future thing mm-hmm. wonder woman has more of the fantasy thing 
So their characters, to me, DC's characters have always been primarily defined by their individual adventures and solo outings, whereas Marvel's have been defined by existing together in a shared world. So I think it's much more necessary to have a plan and to make those films fit together more concretely and in a way where they kind of all look have a very similar aesthetic and approach and a style for Marvel movies. Uh, it's just kind of inherent in the characters, I think. Right. Um, and remember Feige, uh, not Feige, uh, uh, Favre come in, came in and did a couple of the Iron Man movies. Uh, Joss Whedon has done a couple of movies yeah, now. Yeah. So there have been, and it, there's only act when you look at the movies that they've had, there's only been actually just a couple of directors who have not returned right. to the fold. I, um, I haven't thought of it like that either. Yeah. yeah you're and right, they've yeah. given a lot of leeway at the start. I think it's that what at the start they had to be stricter about like, this is the world we want to build. Now that that world is there, they feel very confident in it. They know that, okay, now we've earned the leeway to go and do this other stuff. Right. And now they give a lot more leeway. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> James yeah. Gunn came in and he had his idea and he pitched it. And he's, you know, uh, he, uh, I was at an event at Disney actually with him talking uh, and showing his material from the movie and stuff. And he said uh, that there was nothing that he wanted to do that they didn't okay basically and you can see it in the movie it's very much a, I mean, it's completely his sensibilities uh the edgar wright with ant-man they let him go pretty far toward what he ultimately it didn't work out there were creative differences but from what i've heard he was pushing it a little bit farther than what i think would even necessarily have honestly worked in the marvel superhero movies i mean guardians of the galaxy went pretty far towards comedy and satire and if Ant-Man became, you know, Marvel is very good at, they include the humor, but it doesn't go so far as like Jack Black doing a, a Green Lantern camp <laughs> movie, you know, you don't want to go too far with that. And when you look at Edgar Wright's movies, I love Edgar Wright's movies, but I also see that there's a large element of satirizing, kind of lovingly satirizing, but still satirizing their genres. And it kind of, you know, it goes pretty far in that direction sometimes with that humor. And I think Marvel just felt, look, those, the sensibilities of our films are not quite that extreme. And he's used to being able to do what he wants whenever he wants. And, and I respect that and understand that, you know, for him as a filmmaker, but at the end of the day, it just didn't quite work out. Right. Well, I'll hit you up with one more question before we take a little mini break. But one thing I forgot to ask you about the marketing and the photo was, Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I I know we've talked about it, but um, that that photo was pretty hot. Like I was not expecting yeah. that. I was not expecting Jason Momoa to look that badass as Aquaman. Although they're gonna go a little more uh, orange like, sweatery. Yeah, a little more comic booky. But when I saw that, I was like, whoa! Like, what what did you think of that? I was happy because it's exactly what I said they should do for three years. So yeah. <laughs> right down to the guy they cast. So, uh, and I'm, I'm going to beat that horse until everybody gets sick of me saying it. I am, I ha I am quite proud because when I, 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 I guess it was three. Yeah. It was almost four years ago now in 2011 and 2012, I started saying uh, I'll message boards first. And then I posted the big article on Quora in like the end of 2011 or in 2012 saying they need to hire Jason Momoa. They need to make him 
like a warrior kind of character like Kyle, like Drogo from from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't need to have a, a uh, a tight Aquaman suit. He needs to have more of a mix of armor and things. Uh, make it kind of tribal. Go for a really tribal uh, approach to the character. And I was convinced that was it. And I caught a lot of flack from a lot of people. Aquaman fans were pissed off at me and told me I was wrong. Uh, I got in big debates on message on Batman on Films message board. I got on debates with Aquaman fans who thought that what I they were like, you are out of your mind. That is not and uh so I'm really proud that that to, that I kind of thought that's what they should do and that was the right guy for the job and boy that's uh that's who they went for. So right on. I'm I'm really really pleased. I think uh I don't know if y'all saw his Conan movie, but I love. I grew up as a kid. I read the Conan comic books and uh, some of the, a couple of the Conan, some of the Conan novels, and I loved. I, now I love the old Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan movie. Don't get me wrong, but this uh, Conan the Barbarian with Jason Momoa, I highly recommend it because it's very much like the Savage Sword of Conan comics. Uh, it's like a, a Conan comic book come to life. And I thought it was really fun, really good movie. I liked it a lot. Uh, I, I know the, the screenwriter, uh, Sean Hood, did turned in a great screenplay for it. It was like totally hitting the right marks for it. Very faithful uh, adaptation. And I was, I was really pleased with it. And uh, after seeing him in that, I was like, this is the guy. You've got he, – that's Aquaman. And he's a kind of that tribal, bar, almost like a barbarian kind of feel, but he's smart. He's intellectual. He lets people underestimate him a bit. He's got he's cocky. He's got a lot of pride. That's the right way to do it. So, yeah, that was the, the exact same impression I got from Jason Momoa from Game of Thrones. Is that he was just this badass. He knew exactly what he was doing. But sometimes he liked to play games with his enemies, and he, he could get away with it. So I'm I'm looking forward to his performance. It's gonna be great. Ooh, Jason Momoa did look hot in that outfit. But uh, if you're going to want to hear more of this conversation, you're going to have to wait till next week when we throw out part two of the second Mark Hughes interview. Stay tuned! I am the knight. I am the knight.